Hey folks, welcome to the Shigon Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Fry. Um, hope you had great holidays and everybody's uh, happy and healthy and ready for a big 2023. Today on the Shigon Podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. My producer, an all-around great guy, Dave D'Agostino, is going to interview me and talk about some of the things I've got going on with camps and clinics and speaking engagements and uh, thought it'd be a lot of fun. And uh, without further ado, here's the producer, Dave D'Agostino. What's up, buddy? Oh, I was glad to be here. And just so the audience knows, this was my idea. Jeff didn't call me to have me interview him so that the audience doesn't think you're you're the, the pushing to be the guest on your own show here. Yeah, that seems yeah. kind of weird. That's not me. <laughs> no. And we're uh, as part of the podcast network here with Coach and Kern, and we're on episode 97 right here. And just for the audience, uh, just so you know how to support us and Jeff's portion of it on She Gone, make sure you download, you listen, you like, and you subscribe. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. We don't do any ads. We don't do any sponsorships for the shows itself. Uh, but we do have a new site set up on Praytheon. So if people want to donate and keep this thing rolling for all the work that we're putting in with six shows now, more than happy to to have you be a part of it that way. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And as we talk about sponsors, it doesn't preclude our hosts from having sponsorships and and working with different products. So Jeff, I know you have a couple of new products that you're working with right now. Can you share with the audience uh, what you've got yourself into with those two? Okay. Yes, I've uh, I've agreed to inter- endorse Academa gloves. Uh, they sent me a couple samples, and one of them actually has the Shigon logo and Shigon hashtag Shigon on it, and it's a really incredible glove, and it's uh, high quality, and uh, I really look forward to using it. I'll be using it this weekend in Colorado at the, at the infield clinic I'm putting on, and then uh, Camwood bats. They have a training training tools, and also game bats that are made out of uh, pine. I believe it's pine wood. Beech wood. Beech wood. I'm sorry. So many different woods being used today, but beech wood bats. And I use some of these bats in my senior league and let some of my teammates use them. And man, they're solid bats. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of crazy that uh, you know this whole Shigon thing is taking off where I'm actually endorsing products now. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think you bring a lot to the table. Obviously, you have the experience and the background as a professional player and a successful one, uh, in spite of what some knuckleheads on social media may challenge. Hitting 290-plus for nine years in the bigs is is phenomenal. But uh, people who don't play regularly or didn't play at the level that, that you played at, I mean, just they don't understand the importance of a bat and a glove in terms of being a part of you as a player. I mean, that, that's safe to say, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's as a professional, I can tell you that uh, you know I had two or three gloves once I got to the big leagues, and I took care of those things like they were gold, and I put them in bags to protect them. You have to um, have good quality equipment, and when you're going out there in front of fifty thousand people or forty thousand people, you want to make sure that you have the highest quality equipment, and the same thing with bats and early part of my career bats were not as easy to come by as they are today. And I've actually, you know, a few times in my career had to share bats with teammates in the major leagues, believe it or not, David. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, you know, the equipment has come a long way and, 
you know, there's some really good quality stuff out there. People do a little bit of research. Yeah. And I, and I have personal experience with academia, great guys there. They're out in New Jersey. They do great gloves. Uh, they actually sent my son a bat, um, that he used in his, a drop three and he loves it. Uh, we'll continue to get product through them as well. And then Kim, what I've seen that <laughs> I've seen a few people lose actually Lillian, uh, who we work with, with uh, helping her with scholarships and who you're, you're a big backer of as well. She uses Camwood bats as well. So I saw her passing a box out to her teammates during one of her fall events this past year. So they're making their rounds and people talk if bats, wood bats don't, don't uh, work well. And, and just for the audience, no, they don't provide you with hits. You got to get your own hits, but they've got to you know, last long. And um, the grains are important, obviously, you know, less grains is better when you're looking at that stuff. So um, that's good. Uh, and I'm sure people that are in the audience that listen to the show and have product, um, you know, Jeff is about excellence. I think you get that from what he's, what he's, uh, been doing out there in social media. So if you have an excellent product, by all means, reach out to him and, uh, present it to him. Uh, how, how can they reach out to you, Jeff? What's the most appropriate way if a product wants to reach out to you to, to at least try it out and see if you would endorse it? Well, they can always email me at, uh, on sports at gmail.com or they can find me on Facebook at Jeff Fry, um, Instagram certified hitting guru, LinkedIn, Jeff Fry. They can also send a direct message to my grandson who has his own Twitter account now, uh, at not fry daddy, all lowercase. And, uh, I'm not hard to find. I'm, I'm out there. Um, and if they don't, if they can't get a hold of me, they might know somebody that might know me. So, uh, you know, I, I get messages every day um, from people I've never met before asking me to look at videos of their kids and even older guys. Yesterday, a guy, 49-year-old guy sent me a video of himself hitting and wanted to know what I thought about it and said he just started coaching and wanted to be able to demonstrate to kids the proper way to do it. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as much time as I can spend um answering people's questions and helping them and their kids, you know, I give them all the time I have. No, and I, I, I can speak volumes about that as well. I, I think people that understand what you're doing and appreciate what you've done, they get it. And there's a faction out there right now that I think the more visible you've been and the more, the more you get out there and speak and, and do clinics and push more on social media. I think the ones that don't get it, that don't understand baseball per se are starting to understand your importance. Now the ones that don't get that they don't get it, we don't worry about them. That's their own little world to live in. But I got one quick glove question for you before we move on to what we were going to chat about. What do you, what do you use on your glove to keep it? Uh, or what did you use as a player? What do you use now? As a, I used as a, as a college player, I used a shaving cream with lanolin cause it was cheap. Um, it was 99 cents. I think it was like the Barbasol brand and I could keep it healthy. But as I, I, when I became a minor league player, I started using saddle soap on it a little bit more. What, what did you find good for your glove? Yeah, I use, I use uh, shaving cream still today. Um, the only problem is um, sometimes it will, the glove will dry out a little bit quick. Um, I've, I've never been big on the saddle soap. I've used it, obviously, like everybody else has tried it. I felt like it made my glove a little bit uh, greasy almost, and I, I wanted more tact to it, and I got I get that from shaving cream. and Like the Academia glove, I put shaving cream on it, and when I first got it, it was really 
you know, really stiff and I put it in the microwave for a couple minutes and man, I'm ready to use that thing um, that night. And so, uh, never, never really had the access to use a, a microwave to break in my glove, but, uh, man, it works, heats it up. Hopefully it's not breaking down on the inside, but, uh, yeah, just shaving cream for the most part. Simple. Yeah. And they do have lanolin products out there, but now everything's animal cruelty free. So they it may have lanolin in it from the sheep, but they don't say it anymore because somebody will sue them for yeah. using <laughs> lanolin. That's the world we live in today. And kind of, kind of speaking into that world, uh, Give the audience a little bit. We had uh, during the Christmas break here, we had a little uh, little little tiff with Twitter, and uh, give us two minutes of that and and what the reasoning is and how we're how we're moving on from that. Yeah, well, I um, on my at o three j fry account on Twitter, I post I post a lot of videos of things I think are harmful to kids development and potentially their health some of the drills they do and i saw a couple drills that uh, driveline the velocity training um, company posted of young teenage kids doing the running guns throwing balls as hard as they could into net into the net to get a, a good velocity reading and um, without any type of good fundamentals or mechanics and and I also posted a video of young kids using weighted balls, which I don't believe is safe for them um, at this age. And so I posted these videos, and um, apparently Driveline was not very happy with me because uh, they turned me in for copyright infringement, um, which I'm sure many other people have posted their videos in the past and nothing has happened. But the sure. fact that I pointed out that I thought these things that they were – teaching kids were harmful. They decided they wanted to complain and Twitter listened to their complaint and permanently suspended my account and 16,000 followers that took me approximately three years to build up to gone overnight. And, uh, you know, I, I guess they expect me to appeal. I did appeal. I did appeal, but according to the email, I have to contact driveline and ask them, to for forgiveness or I'm not really sure David but obviously yeah. I'm not going to do that because that goes yeah. against everything um, that I believe in I believe if you're doing something wrong and harmful to that may hurt kids that you need to be exposed and so uh, I just now rely on my uh, my grandson little Jimmy to oh he's uh, phenomenal to pass along the the gone message yeah, very articulate. He's got verb placement and nouns. I mean, that kid is phenomenal for, for a sharp little sucker. <laughs> yeah, I bet you he homeschools. I think <laughs> I put that up there, and he asked me very tight, "What school?" And I said, "Good for you. Stay out. <laughs> right. I'm doing well without it right now. It'll just mess you up." Now, on that note with the Twitter, um, I did some looking into that, and so anytime somebody retweets, that's potential for copyright infringement. So on that particular one that you, uh, they had the offense on you. There were over 200 retweets and there were 20 some odd comments, all by definition uh, infringing on their copyright if they so chose. But it's, a, it's a incredible how they selected you out of the mix to, uh, to do that. So, um, yeah, so they, they, you're, you're right when you say that. There were anytime you retweet on something like that that's considered a copyright, you're technically infringing and they, didn't uh, 
didn't care to act on the others. And I think yeah, that brings me to, that's sorry to interrupt you, but it's, uh-huh. it's funny too, because there've been a lot of people that have um, done, you know, videos that I've released that they've gone in and they've altered the video. They've put clown faces on me. They've done all these different things on these videos, which I guess are technically my property. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in freedom of speech and, and, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I've never once complained. And, uh, but the gurus out there, they don't like what I have to say. And so Driveline's not the only one that has, that has uh, contacted Twitter claiming copyright infringement. Joey Cunha and the Farm Board guys, they've also done the same multiple times. I saw that when I saw the, the Farm Board. I, I, uh, Thought that was interesting, uh, to say the least. I, I, I'm at a loss sometimes, and you've you've helped open my eyes. I've I've been aware, you know. I, and I'll share with the audience why I think your presence is special to the baseball world. Um, when when I see what you're doing, I see it from a number of different perspectives. Uh, I'm a former professional player, not to the level that you played at, but as a minor league player, a former college coach. Uh, I'm a dad. And now we're involved in the college and professional game in a number of different realms with scholarships and consultation and whatnot. And so when I'm watching what you're doing, I'm seeing it from all those perspectives. And before we met, and we just met, gosh, probably five, six months ago, tops, uh, through through you coming on Real Voices of the Game, um, I see the positive in what you're doing. And I'm curious, these, these guys that are offended or are, I guess, fragile to comment or insult or what's your take on that as, as a former professional player, how would have that, how would have that played in a clubhouse or a locker room? Oh man, it would have not played at all. And, and that was the thing is, is, and it started for me really, I would say in summer ball in college, um, before I got into professional baseball was, and we were just a bunch of knucklehead kids playing baseball. We talked so much smack to each other and, and nobody took it personal. And we were just kind of, you know, building up that uh, toughness, that mental toughness. And you had to be be able to, if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it. And that carried on into the minor leagues where I became kind of the team prankster and always joking with the guys and never, never really meaning any harm, but just kind of testing guys to see what they could take. And, and man, I developed so many friendships through that, that, uh, you know, we would just talk smack on each other and then we'd like, all right, where are we going to eat lunch? And nobody took it personal. And that's the kind of, you need that when you get into the professional baseball, because at that point, people are going to start really getting on you and criticizing you and you have to be able to take it. You can't just take everything personal and let that affect your performance. So I built up that over the years and years and years. I mean, for, you know, ever since I was a little boy, I've been called small fry and all these little names, little guy and smalls and all this stuff is like, that's just part of it. I'm a little guy. I have to be able to accept that. If I can't look past that, I'm never going to be able to play this game at the major league level where people are yelling at you every time you step on the field and telling you how terrible you are and what you want to be when you grow up, Fry. And, hey, Bat Boy, how'd you get a small, such a, a small low number? 
And so over the years, I've developed that toughness, that mental toughness. And then I see these people that get so upset on social media. It's just like, I, I really don't have the time. I don't want to put forth the effort to talk to somebody who, when I post a video of, of a kid fielding a ground ball at a perfect game event and taking 10 steps and throwing as hard as he can across the field to get a high um, mile per hour rating on his throw across the infield where the guy would have been safe by 10 feet. I don't want to take the time to tell that guy why that's not good. If you can't see it for yourself, then probably you don't belong on this thread or wherever we're at. I mean, but there's honestly people, David, that just have no clue. I posted a video yesterday of a perfect game showcasing this kid filled a ground ball, took five steps, threw the ball as far hard as he possibly could across the infield. His glasses flew off his head, and I was like, "This will not, we will not be working at this at the infield clinic. I'm I saw that, yeah. <laughs> Some guy goes, well, what's wrong with it? I said, if you don't know what's wrong with this, there's really no point in me explaining it to you. Yeah, no, I, I did see that one. Um, the thick skin, do, do you find it ironic that, you know, with these, you know, we'll use the word guru guys that are teaching hitting or really anything in baseball to be a baseball player, you have to be resilient, um, in a lot of different ways, not just the crowd. Um, I remember, uh, uh, an announcer guy, I think one time I walked up, it was New Newburgh, New York, and they played the Oompa Loompa song from Willy Wonka. Cause I'm a small guy too. And, uh, I, I laughed my ass off. I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, it, uh, took me a little out of my zone for a second, but do you find it ironic that these guys, um, aren't resilient, that they don't have that tough skin? And I mean, if somebody came back at you and say, well, what, you know, what would you, what do you think's right? Would you, t- would you spend the time to, to explain it to them? Man, I don't know. These, the, the gurus, I mean, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that almost every one of these guys wasn't a successful baseball player. They can't handle criticism. Little Richie can't handle criticism. What he does is he criticizes people and gets in arguments, and then if they disagree with him, he blocks them. And yeah. they talk smack about them behind their back where they can't even see it. Joey Cunha does the same. A lot of these guys do the same thing. Um, they can't take it. and I don't think it's a coincidence these guys weren't successful athletes or baseball players. And um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, today, this morning. It was, you know, I see – a lot of the videos that of the hitting stuff that I see with these kids are hitting homers in the cage and always off soft toss or batting tee. And, and, um, you know, I see these, uh, the gurus, little Richie and Joey Cunha and some of these other guys, Antonelli hitting in a cage and in a, in a controlled environment and crushing a ball. It looks like they crush a ball. And, um, Sitting there, and I was like, I wonder if we threw together nine or ten former professional baseball players um, against nine or ten of these gurus and had a little pickup baseball game. What would happen? And you know, I think it would have been similar to the Georgia Bulldogs TCU game. Yeah, um, I so. and, and I, I really do because you know, people are listening to these guys who've had no success in the game, like what they're teaching is the gold standard and you have all these professionals, not just me, but a lot of other guys who are totally disagreeing with what they're teaching and people aren't listening. And it it really is mind boggling to me. And unfortunately I believe in the long run, it's going to come back to hurt these kids 
And these people are going to regret taking their kids to swing coaches and these gurus with all the gadgets and saying, man, I just used a little common sense and listened to people who played this game for a living at the highest level instead of some guy who had the most followers on Instagram. Maybe my kid wouldn't have quit baseball uh, when he got to high school. And you, you mentioned a key, a key word there, swing coach. Like Tiger Woods needs a swing coach because he's an elite golfer. But nine-year-old uh, little Johnny doesn't. Tell, t- what's the difference between a swing coach and a hitting coach? A hitting coach tells you, teaches you everything you need to know about being a good hitter. A good one does. There's so much more to it than your swing. And I've said this many times. 15 years professional, uh, in my 15-year professional baseball career, I didn't have one hitting coach ever mention my swing. Not once. It was because I was successful of getting the barrel of the bat to the baseball and hitting the ball hard consistently. They never mentioned my swing. And now we have, and I think I blame golf for this. We have all these guys that are out there saying, well, why not just swing like the best players to ever do it? And maybe you'll have a chance to be successful. Where if you watch a major league baseball game, you wouldn't find two players on the field who hit exactly the same. Everybody's a little bit different. And so now we're cookie cut, trying to cookie cutter stuff and teach everybody to swing like Aaron Judge, who's 6'7", 280 pounds. And if your kid's 5'10", 160, and he's hitting the ball at the same angle, launch angle, as Aaron Judge, where Aaron Judge can hit the ball over the fence, your kid's going to be hitting shallow fly balls to the outfield, and he's going to have a lot of failure, and he's going to get discouraged, and he's probably not going to want to play. And so these swing coaches are out there, slow-mo video, trying to teach everybody the same style of hitting where all you have to do is use some common sense and watch a major league baseball game and notice that no two players hit exactly the same. So how can it possibly be the way to go? Do, do and we've talked about this, you know, either off the air and on, on, on your other show, but um, do we, do we blame major league baseball for, for a little bit of that too? I, I blame major league baseball for allowing their their employees, which basically a major league baseball player is getting paid millions of dollars as an employee of that franchise, that organization. And they now allow these players to go outside of their organizations and work with their own specific hitting guy. But when the team doesn't hit and the team fails, they fire the manager or they fire the hitting coach. Right. The, the gurus never get fired by the organization. They just keep adding more and more players because they use one player's success to try and drive their business. And they never talk about the guys that they worked with didn't pan out. And chances are that guy that had success was going to have success regardless. I mean, correct. Like Aaron judge was a good hitter for a long time. Does anybody think honestly that Aaron judge three sports star in high school, first round draft pick made it through the minor leagues quickly wasn't going to figure it out, but he struggled his first September and his agent got him in touch with little Richie and he had a great year the next year. And now little Richie is, uh, hitched his wagon to Aaron judge and everything that Aaron judge has become is because of little Richie. And nobody talks about poor Scott Kingery, who was a stud player coming up 
He was. And now at 28 is basically out of baseball. He's in baseball, but he's not. He's an afterthought now, and it's because he tried to hit like Aaron Judge. Now, when when uh, when you were, when you played, and I, you know, I, you're obviously still doing the same thing. But when you were in your major league career, describe your hitting style as a you know you were to me you're a classic number two hitter. Um, move the ball around. You could bunt. You could hit behind runners. Um, if you had to drive it in the gap, you could. I've seen on Twitter hit your occasional home run too. No matter what they say, it's <laughs> yeah, a, not bad for a Judy. That's well, right. I, I was. I was thinking about this today. So when I first came up, Toby Hara was the manager of the Texas Rangers. And I basically had to do everything correctly to make sure I was in the lineup the next day, which means if I come up my first at bat in the first or second inning and there's a runner on second, no out, I have one job to do, and that's give him and if I screw up and, he gave, and they give me the bunt and I don't get it down, I get yelled at when I go to the dugout. And if they allow me to swing away, um, I know that my job is still to focus on hitting the ball to the right side hard on the line or the ground to move him to third base. That's it. I have one job, get him to third. And there's many a few times where I came up and my first two at-bats in the game, I'd have to sacrifice bunt. I mean, we don't see that today, but, uh, you know, that's what I had to do. And it, it wasn't like I see a lot today where if you fail and don't move the guy over or get the guy in from third, that no, the manager, nobody says anything to you when you go back to the bench. It was, I knew before I got back to the dugout, I was getting my butt chewed out because I had a role. My role was to do the little things right, move runners, um, steal some bases, play solid defense, and and do everything I could do to help my team win the baseball game that day. And that was it. And that's what my focus was. And I knew there were repercussions if I failed at doing those jobs. And you, you played with some good teams. Give me a name of a number three hitter that you played with and, and kind of just share with the audience a little bit of the difference what his job was. Oh, man, I played with some freaking unbelievable three-hole hitters. Juan Gonzalez, Will Clark, Palmero, um, Mo Vaughn, John Valentin, Todd Helton, um, Carlos Delgado. I mean, those guys' job was to knock me in when I got on base. You know, those guys' job was to, when I moved that runner from second to third with no outs, and they came up to hit with a runner on third and one out, their job was to get that guy home every time. Not themselves also, which means try to hit a homer, a two-run homer. Their first job was to get that one runner home from third base. And you start, you know, the, the, the saying was keep the line moving. My job, Otis Nixon's job is to get on first. Then his job is to steal second. My job is to get him to third. Will Clark's job is to get him in. And when you function like that as a team, and you produce runs, and you and everybody knows their role. The team has success, and that's what you know. We were taught coming up that that that's how we do this. That's how we play this game as a team, unselfishly to do whatever is called upon you to do each at bat. And one at bat is different from the next. That might be the first inning. I have one job, move them over, and maybe my next at bat, I come up with a runner on second and third and one out. And I got to at least 
get the guy from third home. And that's the way we were taught to play the game. Now, what I, what I find ironic is what you're describing, just so the audience knows, I'd asked you a question back earlier in the show about swinging and hitting. What you're describing right now is hitting. And as opposed to what we see a lot today is regardless of the situation, guys are swinging like they're doing in the cage on Twitter where it's one track swing. They're trying to hit it out of the park or strike out. Somehow that's become a positive in our world right now. So just for the audience, as you're hearing Jeff discuss baseball strategy, that's the difference between what a hitting coach would say as opposed to a swing coach. So I appreciate your your intuitive baseball intelligence there. It just comes out of you naturally. Um, one of the questions I, you know, people have this misunderstanding uh, on social. When you're commenting on the drill work or the technique or the strategy or lack thereof that I should say that's being implied by some of these guys, you're in no way, shape or form attacking a child. You're attacking a concept, correct? Absolutely. And and I've been accused of that many times, David. And um, first off, the videos that I post um, have already been posted. I didn't, I don't create these videos. I don't go around videoing batting coaches um, to use what I see them teaching uh, for my benefit. All Everything that I post has either been posted already or somebody sends it to me. I don't really go research for any of this stuff. It gets sent to me daily. And when I see something ridiculous and I post it, oftentimes people will say I'm criticizing the kid. And I've never one time criticized one kid. I would never do that. Um, criticizing the instructor who's teaching this kid with this gimmick or this ridiculous drill, jumping up on a box and swinging. And we've seen a lot of the crazy stuff. I have, yeah. Um, and I've actually had been contacted, threatened. I had a mom threaten to sue me before. I didn't take the video down of her son. And I'm like, well, your hitting coach is the one who posted this. I don't care. My son's this and that. And so just to avoid any conflict and any repercussions to the young man, um, I took it down and I apologized to the lady. I said, oh, there's no intent you know, to harm your kid or expose your kid. I'm just maybe talk to the instructor who posted this ridiculous drill in the first place and ask him not to use your kid as advertising because that's what they're doing. They're trying to drive up their following and show their expertise, I guess, to people who don't understand the proper mechanics of throwing a baseball or hitting a baseball. And so there's been a few times where I've actually been contacted and asked to take things down, and I've done that. I'm, not, I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to harm anybody or, or get anybody any negative feedback, especially kids. And I just want people to understand that a lot of the stuff that's out there being taught is not going to help their kids, and in fact, it's going to hurt their kids' futures in the game. Yeah, that's, and I hope the parents, a lot of my comments on – your your retweets or your your videos i'm always addressing the parents because to me and and you you correct me if i'm wrong jeff parents need to be the first educator of their kid not some random guru um and then these kids have to become more as i as we say with our 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 guys here high agency where they figure out their own problems uh first principle where they're they're trying to have their own ideas and 
and really self-teachers. Because as you described hitting to us a, a little bit earlier, isn't it amazing that you're describing, I mean, you, you described two or three scenarios with hitting and I, you could have rattled off another two hours of different situations, I'm sure. Um, you did that without ever having hitting instruction as a child where you figured it out. Isn't it amazing that our kids now can't do that, but everybody in America has a swing coach. It is. It's really sad. And I, and I started seeing it. I think when my, my sons are 24 and 21 and I coach them in little league and a little bit after little league. Um, and I started seeing it back then where the coaches started calling pitches and, you know, the minors in little leagues and, and, you know, up to age 12 and where they were calling every pitch of the game and telling kids what to do all the time. And I was the opposite of that. And I was like, we have to let them do it. We have to let them figure it out. Like we did, that's going to benefit them in the long run. When they get to high school, they need to know how to call a baseball game. They need to be able to look at the, the batter and see how he reacts to a pitch and know what he should throw on the next pit or call on the next pitch right away. And I think that's, that moved from little league to high school to college to where I started seeing in college, the catcher started wearing the wristbands Yeah, and the catcher would look over at the college coach. The coach would say three numbers or colors or whatever. And then the catcher would look down at his wristband before he ever gives a sign to the pitcher. Now we're 20 seconds into this. And then he would throw down some numbers um, to give the pitcher the sign. I was like, man, we're creating a bunch of robots here. These kids can't think for themselves. And this is not going to benefit them um, down the road. And I think it's getting worse and worse, David. And now you see in the major leagues. I can't believe it's gotten to the major leagues. But you yeah. see major league position players with cheat sheets in their hats, in their back pockets, where they have to look at every time a hitter comes up where they have to are supposed to play them according to all the data that the guys upstairs have compiled. And now we even have it to where pitchers and catchers are wearing pitch calm um, and catchers are giving signs with a, a keypad on their shin guards. And I, yeah. It all started for me probably, I would say, 10 to 15 years ago when my kids were in Little League and now it's all the way up to the Major League level and now we have Major Leaguers who honestly can't think for themselves. How on earth did you possibly figure out where to play without an index card or a, a wristband when you were playing? Man, we had a scouting report. When I'm professional baseman, we didn't really have scouting reports in the minor leagues. Um, we didn't have meetings as far as who were going to play um, this three or four game series. Um, so maybe we played against this particular uh, organization's team uh, in double A, and now we're playing against a lot of the same guys in triple A. So I rem would remember them from the previous year. Um, when I got to the major leagues, we started having pitchers meetings uh, to talk about how are they going to pitch guys. And then we'd have defensive meetings to talk about um, how we're going to position guys defensively. And then that was at, usually before the first game of the series. And then, Amazingly enough, David, two or three days later, we're playing that same team. I still remembered how to play it. We didn't have to have a new meeting every day. And yeah. Um, yeah, I still remember to this day 
uh, if, if we're playing the Chicago White Sox and Frank Thomas is hitting, I'm going to play him two steps to pull up the middle at second base until he gets two strikes, and then I'm going to play him straight up because he'll hit the ball the other way. And I, I remember Harold Baines, I would play him two steps to pull uh, to the right side and then maybe one step back with two strikes. And it's amazing how I could remember those things, and those were – 30 years ago that I still remember how to play guys, but now major league guys can't remember from inning to inning how to play a guy. It's like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, it goes away after a while. And you said it, it starts down in little league right now with these kids. I, uh, I hate to quote my younger son cause he's probably going to listen to the podcast and his head's going to explode. But when, when he plays on our, we, we run a showcase team where we help some of these kids get opportunities to play in front of colleges and, he catches for us and I don't call his games. I'll offer a suggestion, but that's a great teaching time for us, especially if he makes a mistake or he made a mistake and, and actually got an out out of it. But he made a comment to me or actually to the opposing coach because they asked, well, who calls your game? And, and he you know, pointed to me and said, I don't call a single pitch. I offer a suggestion, but he calls the game back there. And uh, he made two points to the coach. He's like, well, what happens um, if the pitcher shakes you off? And he's like, they don't shake me off. That's disrespectful. They, <laughs> they step off the rubber. And then I, I, I walk to the mound. <clears throat> Excuse me. I walk to the mound if they do it twice. And uh, he's like, well, why do you call it instead of the dugout? He's like, I got the best view in the house back here. I can see the, the, the hitter's hands. I can see their feet. I can watch the infield. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. He's 13. But it's, again, he's been, he's been taught that way since he was younger. And I cringe at watching some of these other guys that come with us that are, in my mind, in some cases, bigger, stronger, even more skilled, but they're going to have no, they're going to have no shot because they can't think they haven't exercised that muscle. So that's amazing at 13 that he can do that. And it sounds like you're, you're, you're teaching in the right way and that's going to benefit him so much. And, you know, when he gets to high school and he'll have a leg up on the competition because most of the other kids will just sit back there and wait to be told what to do. Yeah, I think it's that phrase, overcoached and undertaught sometimes. So you just got to get out of a kid's way. They'll figure it out after a while. And has he made mistakes? Sure. But that's great teaching points. My message, just like you got, just don't do it again. You know, you learn from it. Don't make it twice. Yeah, and it's all, why does the catcher get blamed when he calls a pitch and the pitcher throws it in the wrong spot? Maybe it was the right pitch to throw, but the guy missed his location and the guy crushed the ball and now it's the catcher's fault. Why'd you? Well, no, I didn't tell him to throw it down the middle. It always, I always yeah, right. wondered as a catcher, I was like, man, that's got to be tough. You know, you're relying on what you know this guy can do. And when he doesn't do it right, you get blamed. Yeah. And sometimes hitters hit a, hit a, hit a good pitch. You know, you, you do the right pitch and they, they just put a, put a good swing on it. So, I, you know, I, you had mentioned you get a lot of videos from kids. And even you mentioned a, uh, a 49-year-old adult. Just for the audience, that wasn't me. I didn't send that to you. <laughs> um, what are some things when you're when you're looking at it, you know, as as, as a former professional player and a in my mind a, a, a tremendous hitting mind? What are some things that you look at and that you give in terms of feedback back to these people who you don't know, right? You're just watching them for the first time, and that's that's very difficult to give. Yeah, I don't know back. really any of them. Um, you know, I just kind of uh, we happened upon each other on social media, and they're asking me to take my time to look at their stuff, but. Um, I don't really talk mechanics much. Occasionally I'll talk a little bit if I see something 
glaringly wrong. But, you know, first thing I notice is balance. If, uh, you know, they're staying back and after they hit the ball, if they're losing their balance. And then I, I look at, uh, you know, how the ball, I listen to the sound of the ball off the bat. And if they're hitting the ball hard for the most part, I won't say anything because they're doing what you're supposed to do, which is hit the ball hard. And there's, I mean, and these, these videos range, buddy, from like eight-year-olds, like I said, 49-year-olds. So everybody swings different, different levels of playing. Um, I'll encourage kids sometimes if it looks to me like they're doing something that, you know, a toe tap or getting out, getting their foot down too early, I'll just suggest, hey, why don't you try this? See if it works. If you're hitting with a leg kick, what's the point of getting your foot down early if you're hitting with a leg kick? You're losing all your leverage because your foot's down too early. Why not just try and put your foot down before you swing and try that? Um, and it's been pretty great, some of the, the reception. I'm just like, man, you got to keep experimenting and find out what works for you. Don't try to hit like these other guys. Find out what works for you and be the best and most consistent you can be at doing it the way that feels comfortable to you. And it's really been great. And I know a lot of the gurus out there will have these services where uh, I think the doctor of hitting um, says uh, you can send in your three videos of, of your kid hitting and I'll analyze it and give you feedback for a hundred bucks. And I'll automatically improve his bat speed. hundred bucks. And then, you know, then I'll sell you this program where you can, for 125 bucks, I can teach you how to do this. And I'm like, people are actually paying for this stuff from somebody who didn't play college baseball. And, but they ask me, someone who did play professionally to look at this stuff and I do it for free. I do it every day. And I ho hopefully people wake up and stop paying these guys this ridiculous money that they're just, in my opinion, throwing out the window um, for nothing. Um, and they, <laughs> people just need to use some common sense, man. And, and I'm not saying that you have had to been had a lot of success at, at the game to be knowledgeable about hitting. But, man, I think a high percentage of the guys who played this game professionally know what they're talking about. I would agree. And you, you hit a great point. And I, I hope parents that are listening understand this. This is the dad talking in me. I have a hard time understanding why parents will flock to somebody on the internet just because they have 15,000 followers as opposed to somebody who has, you know, 10, 15 year veteran major league player, if I, even one game, you know, it's, it's amazing to me because we talk, we have six shows on the network and we talk to some great baseball guys and I would say about 80% of them are battling to get kids and parents to come to them over three to four people in their, their community that have no experience in baseball. <laughs> and it is, it's baffling to me. And that's why I like what you're doing now. You're getting out there in the grassroots and you're doing camps and clinics um, with hitting and fielding and even uh, character development, which I like. Uh, what, what's that about now? What, what can a kid expect when they come to one of your hitting or, or fielding clinics? What kind of things are you teaching? Well, I'm going to teach them the things that were taught to me when I um, I really didn't get coached much as an amateur in high school and college. And I really, I mean, I, I made, I was 
<clears throat> became a professional baseball player because I was a good hitter. And that's what gave me the opportunity. Once I got into professional baseball, then I started learning things, um, learning um, fielding the proper techniques and fielding and how to run the bases and how to you know, think my way through a baseball game. And I think that's missing a lot today. So you, when you come to a Jeff Fry hitting clinic, the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, not trying to hit like anybody else. Be who you are. Okay, you have to you have to figure out what type of player, what type of hitter you are, and then be the best you can be at that. And we'll talk about balance and timing and rhythm and approach and step when you step in the batter's box. How you got to clear your mind of all the mechanical things and focus on seeing the ball out of the pitcher's hand and doing the job that's required of you, that at bat. Now, sometimes you'll come up to hit with a runner on second and no outs, and knowing your job is to move that runner to third, and then you'll have a wild pitch. And now you'll have a runner on third, no outs, and now your job just changed. Now your job is to get that guy home. Okay, So you have to be able to adjust your approach and your mindset and everything based on that particular at bat. And you have to be able to do that on the fly. You can't all of a sudden your AB's over and realize you messed up because you can't give away you can't give away one at bat. You may not get another one. And so you gotta stay focused at all times. And uh, teach kids when you step in that box, you need to look around the field. You need to see where they're playing you. Because most likely that's how they're gonna pitch you. So if they're playing you to hit the ball the other way, odds are they're gonna pitch you away. You might want to move closer to home plate to make that outside part of the plate the middle of part of the plate, and vice versa. You move up, you come up, shortstop's in the hole, third baseman's one step toward the line. This guy's got a two-seamer. He's going to pitch you inside. Okay, well, I might step off the plate a little bit and make that inside corner the middle of the plate. So those little things I don't think are being taught when kids are going to the gurus and working on you know, trying to get that 100-mile-per-hour exit velocity on the blast motion and act like they learned something and became a better hitter. So that's what we'll talk about at the hitting clinics. Then we'll do some drills. We'll do some soft toss. We'll do some T-work. Um, we'll work on different locations where you should try and hit the ball. We'll work on bunting. We'll talk about base running and how to know where – the defense is playing you when you're on first base. And if that ball goes to right center, and if you didn't take a peek to see where that guy center fielder was before you got there, you're going to hesitate. And if it gets by him, you probably won't score from first. But if you already know where he's playing in left center, and as soon as that ball's hit to right center, you're scoring, you will not hesitate, and you will score a run for your team. And when we go to fielding, we're going to work on the six Fs of fielding that I learned from Perry Hill. Footwork, field, funnel, footwork, fire, and follow. We're going to work on proper technique, catch the ball first, make a good strong throw, where to, you should play on the field based on the situation of the game, where the base runners are, all the little things that I don't really have to even think about anymore, but I know the kids have not been taught this, so I'm going to teach them that. And then we'll talk about character development, leadership, how to be a good team player, how to treat people outside of the baseball field, in society, in the classroom, and how to become a leader 
and it's lead by example and just we're really just trying to build, I'm trying to help build good character in these kids to where when their baseball careers are over which most don't last that long they're going to be good citizens and they're going to be good people I think that's great it's as people who have I guess adults should know this without that character part none of the other stuff's going to matter there's there'll be too many chinks in the armor very different I think than stuff's that's being put out there right now, not just on social, but in general with camps. It sounds to me, if I were to kind of classify it, you're teaching skills, not drills. Um, you're teaching kids the stuff that you just verbalized right now off the top of your head from the camp. I would encourage parents to look into it in your locations. Now, two, two questions with that. What locations are you going to be at and when in the near future? And how would somebody get you to their location? Yeah, well, uh, I've got one this weekend. I, I leave tomorrow to fly to Colorado to do a uh, hitting clinic on Friday night from 6 to 8. I'm doing uh, a speaking engagement from 11 to 12 on Saturday, an infield camp from 12 to 2, no, from 2 to 4 on Saturday in Colorado. Um, February, I go to Connecticut to do a speaking engagement. Um, Feb- first weekend in February, the next weekend I'm going to Kentucky to do another speaking engagement. I'm working on a hitting infield clinic in Maryland, first part of March. I come to Cooperstown, New York, I believe in May to- for a speaking engagement. Um, anybody that's interested can email me directly at um, sports at gmail.com or they can find me on social media. Um, you know, just Jeff Fry at Facebook, Certified Hitting Guru on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn at Jeff Fry. They can send a direct message to my grandson, Little Jimmy, at Not Fry Daddy, all lowercase on Twitter, um, if they're interested. And, uh, you know, I, I'm open to doing these all over the country. And I, I believe I've already done a few. And I believe the more that I do, the more people are going to want going to have interest because I'm going to teach their kids how to be good baseball players, not how to hit home runs in the cage. And there's so much more to being a good hitter, a good infielder or outfielder, good base runner, and a good teammate than going twice a week to a hitting guru and seeing if you can hit the ball hundred miles an hour off a batting team. Yeah. So, so handling the mechanics of their swing would be less than 1% of the experience. It'd be, the actual game of baseball, which would be nice to see and refreshing. I won't be I brought it up to the people around here. We, we'd love to get you down to Myrtle Beach, and I'll be contacting you about that. Um, we'll get you during golf season so you can get some rounds in. There you go. Well, I'm ready for that. Yep, I'll, I'll drive your cart here. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you swing for both of us. But um, as far as the uh, speaking engagements, again, I contact you the same way. Yes. Yes. Just uh, Jeff. Shegonsports at gmail.com. Also, Frito03 at gmail.com. And I've spoken to different uh, organizations and um, I spoke to the the Roofers Association here in in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's really, you know, I can tailor my talk, however, um, whether you want it to be a motivational talk or just tell my story of how. uh, you know, a 30th round draft pick out of a Texas Rangers tryout camp 
that I wasn't invited to, played 15 years of professional baseball, grew up without dad, you know, went to college to play basketball when I was 5'5", 135 pounds, ended up playing professional baseball. So there's a lot of different things we can talk about. Um, and it's, uh, you know, Colonel Flowers that we had on the show not too long, while back is kind of my mentor in, in this new uh, thing I'm doing in my life. And uh, I'm not sure I could have a much better mentor. <laughs> than Colonel Craig Flowers, but uh, he's helped me a lot. And uh, it's funny, David, that you know, when I was in college and I had speech class, I couldn't sleep the night before, before I had to get up in front of twenty to twenty-five of my classmates and give a five-minute speech about nothing. And now, when I go speak, I'm gonna speak to four high schools um, when I go to Colorado, and for an hour, and. Uh, I'm not the slightest bit nervous anymore because I know what I'm, I know I'm going to say, and I know these kids um, are starving for information, and um, it's really it's really crazy how it's gone from that little kid who was scared to get in front of the classroom to where now I'll speak in front of 500 people and won't be the slightest bit nervous. Yeah, well, you're speaking from the heart and the soul. It's who you are. It's it's, it's the stuff you put your life into. And you believe it, you know, I think, uh, boy, now we can't shut you up, right? You want, you get up there and just go. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh man, you went 15 minutes over. Oh, sorry. Time went by so fast. One of the last talks I gave, I had this whole slideshow presentation, um, that I was going to, this little clicker deal that I'm not really familiar with using. And I hate those. And I have it, you know, all, all keyed up and ready to go. And an hour later, I realized that I didn't change the first picture. (laughs) And I'm like, Damn it. <laughs> so this, I'm prepared when I go to Colorado. I've already told Coach McBroom, who I met through social media, that is a high school coach there that uh, is driving this whole uh, me coming up there. And we really hit it off. And I've never met him in person, but uh, I'm looking forward to going up there and talking to his kids and this, these schools. And I've already warned him that last time I forgot to use the clicker. So he said he's going to remind me if I forget again. But uh yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's really exciting that uh, this new venture, this new thing I'm doing in my life is is really coming together. Yeah, I'm glad you are. You're going to do a lot of good for a lot of coaches, a lot of players, and hopefully the parents can get there and start learning the difference uh, between the, uh, I guess, the influencers and really people who get it and, and are excellent at what they do. Give give the quick, and I know we're running close to the hour. I promise I'd get, it, get you out of here earlier than that, but um, well, one piece of advice with the clicker, give up the clicker. Let somebody else do it for you. I do that same thing. I'm Italian, so I'm moving my hands. I'm clicking forehead, two back, give it up. Um, you had your tryout camp. Not only were you not invited, but there was also another story of adversity there. Uh, I think it was with, was it a, your hand? And and you told the story when you were a guest on our show earlier. I thought it was a pretty, pretty interesting, uh, not, well, it was probably wasn't interesting at the time, but hurt your hand right in between the tryouts and yeah that was tough that was uh, so i went to the first tryout camp at midwest city oklahoma with my teammate Benji, benny Calvert's invitation and had the day of my life and so the the ranger scouts that were there said we want you to come to the next tryout in Arlington stadium and so two weeks later uh you know scheduled to do that week before I went on Lake Texoma water skiing with some friends and the rope snapped out of my hand and my hand hit the end of the ski and you know, it hurt really bad. I looked down at my hand and my hand, 
the on my glove hand, my left hand, the, my middle finger and ring finger, the tips of them were both busted wide open, blood's pouring out. I've got to rush to the emergency room. Uh, they put stitches through my ring finger and the tip of my finger and my fingernail, five stitches. They glued my middle finger shut. And I went to the doctor and said, I've got a tryout camp with the Texas Rangers in a week. And he says, well, you're not going to be able to go to that. Your hand won't be ready. And I said, okay. And I, uh, you know, the part I'm ashamed of is they went through his drawer and stole a couple rubber gloves and some gauze pads because I didn't have any money to buy my own. Uh, when I went back to school and I was unable to practice before the next tryout and I showed up with um, gauze pads wrapped around each finger, a rubber glove over that, and then squeezed that into my batting glove and uh, showed up at the camp with a batting glove on my hand and uh, nobody noticed And when I ran the 60 and then took ground balls and every ground ball I caught was excruciating pain and I didn't say anything. And then when I went in to hit, and the first swing I took, the bat flew out of my hand and hit the top of the tunnel, and the turtle, whatever they call it, and um, went and picked it up and took a couple more swings, and they could tell I was something was off. And so they asked me to come out of the cage and said, what's wrong? And I explained to them what had happened and took off my batting glove, and they saw the rubber glove, and I took that off, and they saw the gauze pads, and the and I took that off, and they saw that I had five stitches through my fingernail and the tip of my finger. And they said, well, obviously you want to play this game pretty bad. Go home. Get your hand ready. We're going to draft you. And they drafted me 30th round, 1988. I signed for two grand and uh, played for 15 years. That's a great story. That's That probably told them more about you than any swing or anything you did on the field, uh, your determination to get back out there and earn that opportunity. That's a message to kids too. I mean, everybody doesn't have to be ranked in some, you know, event or on some scouting board or whatnot. If you play hard and, you know, you keep moving forward, eventually you'll get your opportunity if you're good enough. So yeah, I think it's a great measure, story. They can't measure your heart and your determination, um, you know, with these uh, exit velocity readings and how hard you throw it across the, the infield. And um, that's, I had actually, on Facebook asked this group that I'm in, which is baseball scouts, professional baseball scouts. Um, yesterday I asked if anybody had a scouting report of me when I played. And I got quite a few responses from, from long time professional scouts about, you know, what they saw of me when I was an amateur and a professional. And they said the biggest thing was that, uh, I could hit and that, uh, they knew I had heart and I was determined and that, that I would get the most out of my ability. And, uh, that was, I think the biggest factor in me getting the opportunity I did. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great, Jeff. And I hope you tell that story in your talks too, about the tryout. Cause I think it says a lot about you and it, there's so many positives that come out of that outside of you got to get better at water sports. I mean, that's, yeah. I That's said it was a very good skier. <laughs> or if you have a tryout one day and you get your next one two weeks later, just lock yourself yeah, in. The room. following weekend, not the one yeah. before. That's, That's right. That's the only That's the only fault with it. But right. now, hey, thanks for agreeing to do this. I know we usually have a guest on your show and you've had so many great guests. Uh, people go back and listen to it. But we had you on Real Voices of the Game back. I think you were our seventh show that we did. 
and there was just so much good information out. I thought, hey, we're we're wasting maybe our best baseball mind here on um, and not having you on. So I think with our audience intermittently, we'll probably have Jeff get interviewed by me. Understand that's my request, not his. And uh, there's just so much good information I think you have out there. And if we can help uh, get that out to the people who aren't able to get to the camps yet or hear you speak, you know, I think for me anyway, I got smarter today listening to you and I appreciate you agreeing to do this. Yes, sir. And I appreciate David. I appreciate everything you do. And uh, I'll keep uh, spreading the message out there and, and hopefully people start paying more and more attention because uh, I'm just trying to help them. They don't have to take my advice. Um, you know, if they want to go their own path and, and believe in what some of these other people are saying, that's fine. But I at least want to attempt to educate them to what a lot of the stuff that I believe they're listening to is not helping their kids. Yeah. And we appreciate you doing that and anything we can do to continue to push that will do. I'll tell our audience where they can find us and then you've got to do your signature sign off here, but please uh, download us, listen, like, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. We keep this ad free and we keep this sponsorship free. Our hosts all have great sponsors, as Jeff mentioned, Academa and Camwood Bats. Uh, please take a look at those. We do now offer an opportunity on Pratheon.com. If you feel like you'd like to donate to the shows, keep this thing going. We've got a lot of good shows, a lot of good people donating their time for free. Um, we'd love to have your support there. And Jeff, thanks again. Episode 97 on the Podcast Network, but I'll let you do your signature sign-off before we play the music here. Okay, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, like I said, you can contact me at shegonsports at gmail.com if you have any questions or any interest in camps or clinics or speaking engagements. And uh, thank you very much, David D'Agostino, for having me on today. And we'll continue to try and spread uh, our message and, and, and help educate parents and kids uh, because we want the best for these people. And uh, we're just going to keep doing it, whether or not the gurus like it or not. So this is Jeff Fry. Um, Signing off from the Shigon Podcast. Shigon.